Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to be talking to you today about Afghan migration to Greece and specifically what motivates Afghanis arriving to Greece to transit from the country to other EU member states. Now, this is a fairly complex issue because it requires a breakdown of both Greek policies on asylum, but also an understanding of what we mean when we talk about Afghan migration. I don't have the time in the 15 minutes to do this. The information is in the paper, and if you have any questions, you can ask me um, afterwards. Um, so I'm going to go straight into discussing what is the main motivation behind transit, which is asylum, and the issue of choice in the context of forced migration, in the context of forced movement, as it has emerged from field work that has been taking place from 2009 to this day, and it still continues. So. Um, what I will try to do is try to give you some glimpses of how the Greek state perceives Afghan migrants arriving, but primarily how they see themselves and how this shapes their understanding of asylum and the things that they desire. Um, so just a few points about Afghans in Greece. They're a relatively new arrival. We find them in apprehension figures in 2004 for the first time, a couple of dozens. They spike in 2008 to 30,000 apprehensions. You need to be careful about apprehension figures um, that the Greek state gives because the way we count apprehensions is by arrests, not by individuals. So in theory, I can cross the same border 20 times. I will be counted 20 times, but I'm still the same person. Um, and there is a drop by tw um, 2012 to 16,000. We're still unclear on whether this drop is a result of policies or partly a result of the Syrian conflict and what's been going on in Turkey, which prevents them crossing and reaching Greece. They enter from all points, from both the sea and the land border. 99.9% of them are undocumented. They come with no papers. And they usually originate from countries where they hadn't been issued papers to begin with. And the Greek state, which is very interesting, um, primarily understands them as transit migrants, which is an entirely different category from what we call asylum seekers or refugees. Um, so they assume that Greece is not their final destination, that they just want to cross. And they also assume that they are very passive subjects to their journey, that they have been exploited by smuggling networks, and they have been brought to Greece with no possibility of crossing to another member state, their money taken and left stranded. So this whole rhetoric and discourse emerges around the Afghan migrant, who is this passive uh, subject and a victim of structural constraints and organized networks. And this removes all agency from the process, which is very interesting for me because to call somebody a transit migrant, you need to acknowledge their agency. Transit is an exercise of agency to a very large extent because it requires wanting to leave and finding ways to achieve it. Um, it is a very um, mental as well as physical process and I'm borrowing the concept of nomadism that Papadopoulos and Tsianos have developed that you never truly arrive somewhere. In fact, while you're in transit um, and until the, you decide that you've reached your final destination, you are basically in what we call limbo in other terms. Um, so obviously there are structural factors that impact both the decision and also how and whether this transit will take place and will be successful. But from the perspective of the Afghans, to go back now to the migrants themselves, transit is actually discussed as an issue of choice. And it's a choice that they have made before they even cross to Turkey. They leave their countries of origin knowing that they will transit from Greece. 
Um, the Greek experience reinforces this choice, but it's equally important to me that they bring it in the context of forced movement. And this is the second part, uh, if you'd like, of the backdrop of Afghan migration. They identify themselves as refugees. So their leaving the country uh, has to do with being forced by external circumstances. And in fact, they wish to be acknowledged as prima facie refugees. Um, so the, the problem comes in though with this because when we discuss refugees, we tend to explain their leaving in terms of socioeconomic and political uh, factors influencing it. But we also tend to discuss their arrival outside of agency. So when we say that someone is a refugee, essentially we say that they have no choice, both in leaving a country, but also which country they will arrive in. Because for us, it's just about safety. It's not about choice. But for the migrants, it's precisely the opposite. It's exactly that. It's an issue of choice. So they exhibit what Sandro Mesadra calls um, an individual motion of desertion from the field, which is another fancy term of saying agency. Um, they claim the right to escape. And I want to argue that not only do they claim the right to escape from the country of origin, but they reclaim this right constantly from every transit destination that they stop uh, until they reach the place that they envisage will be the ideal one for them. So the fundamental issue that they look for is asylum. And asylum is very complex for the Afghans. We understand asylum, and by we I mean primarily um, Western states, we understand asylum based on the 1951 convention and the very narrow definition of who is a refugee and who falls under subsidiary protection. For the Afghans, it's much more complex. Um, and there is a gap uh, between what they see themselves as and what they do when they arrive in Greece. So they, they consider themselves to be refugees, but they don't apply for asylum while in the country. Um, and this gap has to do with how they understand asylum. So what kind of asylum are we talking about? Um, I have a quote for you here, but before I get to it, I want to stress that asylum is not only about protection. In fact, in about 90% of the cases, I would say it's about anything else but protection. Because, and this has to do with the backdrop of the countries they leave, the majority of Afghans that are arriving right now in Europe, and especially in Greece, would not necessarily be qualified as Afghans, and they would not necessarily fall under the refugee um, status. They originate primarily from Iran and secondary from Pakistan. They're second generation, born and raised, and hence lies the problem. Iran doesn't recognize them as its own citizens, for obvious reasons. Afghanistan doesn't recognize them because they were never registered upon birth. And it's a very complicated and difficult process to find the actual family and where you originate from, which area, which tribe. So you have an entire population born and raised in exile, in a way, um, that essentially seeks the status of the refugee, but based on our standards, they don't fall under it, and we also are not quite sure of their actual nationality. So asylum for them incorporates a whole range of issues, and I want to focus on two. Identity, the construction of an identity, and tangible benefits. And I want to start with the construction of the identity. I have a quote for you here. Um, it was best said by one of the um, asylum speakers we were interviewing. He said, I want one thing when I have kids tomorrow to tell them we are from Afghanistan. But what right can I do that? I have no papers. From Iran, I have none, and no way to prove I am Afghani. If they give me asylum, my paper will show where I am from. The document becomes linked with the construction of an identity, which in turn falls under the asylum process. And I want to I focus a little bit on this, because it's very important. Um, <coughs> 
absence of documents in Iran and Pakistan led them to experience profound alienation, and it's an experience they don't want to repeat while they are in Europe. So an entire mental production takes place around the document. Who will they be once they have the document? How will they be treated? What the things that they can do? Um, but it's not just any type of document that they want. They want the refugee passport. It's a very specific notion that they have in their minds, and that's because it's a very official document. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it has all the official stuff. It looks like any one of our passports, and it recognizes you as a refugee. Um, so for them, um, this official-looking appearance and the fact that it will allow them to travel gives them also a certain identity, an identity that they pursue, the identity of the refugee. So they don't just want to be recognized as Afghanis, they want to be recognized as Afghan refugees. It's very specific in their minds. Um, so the document becomes also an object of fetishization. It's, it is shocking that um, when you conduct fieldwork with them, it's the thing that they show you the most. Because when they arrive in Greece, and the documents they get are very poor and very cheap quality. They're handwritten. The information on them are usually wrong um, and factually inaccurate, especially the age, because they use the Persian calendar, which we can't convert into the Western calendar. So we get all sort of mistakes and messed up um, situations. Um, and I want to give you the example of the pink card. The pink card kickstarts the asylum process in Greece. When you lodge an asylum claim, you get a pink card. Uh, it literally is a pink slip of paper where somebody writes by hand uh, your name, your age, and that you apply for asylum. Um, it is very easy to lose, and it's renewable every six months. If it's not renewed, you fall back into illegality. Um, so the Afghans don't want the pink card. They don't like its appearance. They don't consider it an official document. And they actually make very conscious efforts to avoid applying for asylum and avoid being given the, uh, the pink card. When they do, when it's sort of forced upon them by the police because they think that this is the best uh, avenue, um, they do so very grudgingly. Um, the second aspect which links with asylum and the documents is what I was telling you before, the social benefits. Um, I have another quote for you. She said, we don't want the pink card because those who were here before us applied and got it. And six years now, they're waiting for a response from Greece, which is a standard waiting uh, time. But those who went elsewhere got the right papers immediately and much more. Here you get nothing. The much more refers to the social benefits. And now this makes sense to most people, but not necessarily to the authorities when they process asylum claims. And what I mean by this is, the Afghans, while they're in the um, waiting stage of their claim being evaluated, they expect to receive financial support, subsistence, access to education, shelter and housing, and assistance in finding a job and learning the language. Now, to you and me, this may sound like a normal expectation if you're in a foreign country and you don't have any of these things and you don't have a social network to fall back on. The problem comes again with the link of agency in the context of forced movement and refugees. Um, we don't expect the refugees to demand things. We don't expect from the refugees to want to have access to social benefits. We expect them to only want access to safety. So when they come into the state and they become very vocal about these things, they almost challenge pre-existing images that we have of what an asylum seeker should act like and be like. Um, now, the one thing that is expected of the asylum process and is incorporated in the asylum experience for them is access to education. And it's surprisingly the only thing that Greece actually offers. 
Um, we offer it freely to anyone irrespective of the legal status or the country of origin. It's also one of the things that they refuse to partake in, despite the fact that we're offering it. Um, education is critical for them. Again, it has to do with the countries they come from. Education has been prohibited in Iran for the Afghans for the last, um, I want to say since 2000, 2001, when they started restricting policies. Um, and a recent report by UNHCR found that actually a key factor for unaccompanied minors moving to Europe is access to education. Not so much safety, but access to education, because education leads to prestigious professions. Um, and higher remittances. So although Greece offers access to education, Afghans tend to prevent their children from attending school. And there are two arguments that can be made for this. One is because they're con consciously pursuing transit, so they don't want to stay um, and start school for their children. But the second is because education doesn't come with a refugee experience. It doesn't distinguish you from anyone else, anybody can participate in the educational system. And it doesn't mean that the child will receive any form of recognition. At the age of 18, he or she will still be liable for deportation and expulsion. They're still irregular, despite the fact that the system allows them to use services retained for legal um, migrants. So having an idea of what they look for, which are the destinations that they go for? Similar to the document, the way that it's evaluated and asylum systems are evaluated, um, you have also countries being evaluated. Again, choice is very integral in the um, experience of forced migration. Uh, there is the right and wrong kind of asylum space in the EU. It's almost as if it's a demarcated space within the European Union, which is very ironic if you consider that the common European asylum system actually makes a conscious effort to prevent exactly this. So um, depending where you come from, destinations vary. Uh, the UK was huge destination until 2009. Not anymore. It's become very restrictive. Norway is big for the Pashtuns coming from Logar and Kandahar province. Germany is the number one destination consistently for almost the last decade for unaccompanied minors. Um, Austria is a big um, destination and Sweden, and I want to close with this, um, Sweden is the number one destination for the Hazaras and for families today. And I want to give you an example of how they're exercising agency during transit. Following the decision of MSS versus Belgium and Greece, uh, that Greece was not a safe country to return under the Dublin II mechanism, countries stopped returning. Now, one of the things that the Afghans that we've noticed in Greece is that there is a spike in families arriving since 2010. We didn't have that before. Now, it's very costly for an entire family unit to migrate um, irregularly to another EU member state. Border controls are very strict. So one of the things that they did, knowing that they will not be returned, is um, they started splitting the families. So the men would stay back in Greece and they would find the money to send the woman with the child to Sweden. And this is because Sweden is very lenient in giving uh, asylum and protection to women with children, especially minors. So they developed a strategy whereby half the family unit moves, they get the protection, and um, then they ask the man to join under the family reunification clause of Dublin II mechanism. So, um, to conclude, because I'm running out of time, um, a couple of issues about Afghan migration, and I think probably could be applicable to other groups in the context of forced movement. When we talk about um, refugees and asylum seekers, it's not sufficient to say what are they fleeing from. We need to acknowledge that they, at times they can be in pursuit of certain things. This, this does not negate their need for asylum or protection. Um, and in fact, asylum can be much more than protection. It's about envisaging an entire different way of life. 
they have a, a very good knowledge of specific countries' asylum systems, and it's not just produced from the social networks. It actually comes from directly searching from the source. They ask the embassies, they look on the websites, um, they use social media. Um, transit is reinforced as a choice when entering Greece, but it exists beforehand, and this is very important. So the structural factors definitely play a role, there is no doubt about this, but the choice has already been there, it's been made ahead of time. Uh, and not just because of what Greece does not offer, but mostly because of what other countries offer in contrast to Greece. So there's a positive and a negative um, perception of asylum in the country. Um, and for me, the most important is that when you, you see the agency in this, it's, again, to go back to Mazandra, they're not just reclaiming the right to escape, but to pursue specific conditions of life, which is very important because we tend to leave that out in our discussion of forced migration. We tend to see them as passive subjects. They're not. They're, very, they're energized and they partake in their migration journey. So, thank you very much for your attention.